welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am not Tyler Smith. I'm almost as good, Scott and I. You took the words out of my mouth, Scott. I am David Bax, also not Tyler Smith. Tyler Smith is still um, on the hopefully long road to recovery. We, we um, If you want to know what's going on with his uh, ongoing medical condition and, and, and uh, travails um, and ailments, uh, you can find that at caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. Again, that is caringbridge.org slash visit slash Tyler and Jennifer Smith. There's also a link there to the GoFundMe if you want to help uh, Tyler and his wonderful family with their uh, medical bills and other expenses that this um, ongoing uh, conundrum um, has has uh, is costing them. So um, uh, as you might be able to tell from my voice, I am also still under the weather, second week in a row. It's been... Uh, I don't think I have ever been this been sick this long as an adult but miraculously not covid still right no i mean i guess it's been a week since i tested for covid but yeah i tested three days in a row all negative for covid so kind of just figured this isn't going yeah at this point i hope not i've been in and out of walgreens so many times i hope i wasn't i mean i was i was masked but i hope i haven't been going to walgreens with covid but i've been they know me now i've had so many goddamn prescriptions and other medications you don't want to be known at a place like walgreens because i mean there's not that, I mean, there's enough people who work there that the staff like shift turnover you'd think would be frequent enough to take away any potential to be known. Well, yeah, but I'm just going straight to the pharmacy. So I feel like I'm seeing the That's same like true. three people, three people every time. Um, I wanted to talk about, uh, to, to kick things off. Um, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to get into this. Well, okay. Neither one of us is watching HBO's the white Lotus. No. Right. I kind of, um, someone said there's a big love and tour, riff or reference in yes. the latest episode. And so I, I really want to watch that episode. Well, I, here's the thing. I talked to my wife about it and she was like, she doesn't know love. She hasn't seen love and tour, but I was telling her about it. And she was like, this might be an ongoing thing. Cause I guess there was a reference mm. to in, in the first episode, there was a reference to Monica Vitti, Vitti, um, and then, yeah, I guess this most recent reference, ref, most recent episode had a specific like frame that I saw on Twitter that was like a recreation of a shot from Laventura. But I'm wondering if they're hinting at something about one of the characters would be disappearing or something like a Laventura type of thing right. that they're hinting at. But it got me thinking about, and I can't remember why. I feel like it was Laventura that came up on a recent episode. Okay. And you were talking about cinephiles going through that period of watching the canon and like discovering yeah, all these this, great movies. This is because the first chapter of Trinke Laucan is titled La Aventura and got me thinking about that movie. And for some That's reason, right. there's like a handful of movies. I watched a ton of movies, of course, during this period, but there's like a handful of movies like that, that instantly get me thinking about like that kind of period of cinephile life. But I guess what I wanted, it got me thinking about the fact that I don't, I don't think I ever did that. I think I fucked up. Oh, dang. I don't think I ever really did that. So I think I have, uh, I've noticed if you look at my, like, I don't know, letterboxed or whatever, like there's a lot of things where I have, I have blind spots, but then I've also seen like the weirdly more obscure stuff. Right. By like, um, you know, if you go, like I was looking up like, uh, cause someone on Twitter said, what are your like favorite Visconti movies? And I was like, I have like, 
Lenocente or whatever, but I don't have like any of the uh, outside of the leopard. I don't have any of like the big ones, and I feel like yeah. I kind of like I kind of fucked up. Like I I have a lot of blind spots, but I also like I have a deep bench of movies that I've seen, but I've weirdly like danced around a lot of on a lot of directors. I've danced around the big ones because I think I've always kind of figured like, well, I'll see those. I think I've talked about it before how like and now it's like an ongoing thing i can i don't know if i can ever watch the four, the 400 blows because it's like <laughs> i now like feel like a reference point for some reason yeah so i know i can't watch it it's always got to be my main blind spot but i but the 400 blows is the, exactly the kind of thing that i always like kind of felt would come to me right and i never got around to it um so i do need to make a, a, a concerted effort and i actually did start to that's how i saw love and Tour. i saw andre rublev i did like a few years ago be like I need to make a list and start chipping away at those. And then the sort of uh, responsibilities of being an amateur film critic keep catching up with me. And I'm instead watching, you know, uh, the new Andrew Bajalski on a screener uh, in the middle of the night instead of uh, watching the 400 blows. But yeah, um, uh, yeah so uh, I, I'm really, it just got me thinking about the fact that I still have a lot of major blind spots. So what were you... Because for me, this time was really like middle of college, very few responsibilities time, a lot of time to just sit around and watch movies. So what if did you have that kind of period at all? And if so, absolutely, what, what I watched you, so many movies in college. I mean, what were you watching no, instead during? I guess this is kind of you're kind of speaking to the same thing I was talking about, I guess, because I was in film school. I was seeing, you know breathless in in mm -hmm. film school i was seeing i'm trying to think what other big ones just a lot of big you know frankenstein i watched in multiple classes so like a lot of the classics were coming to me in film school so i think i did subconsciously like working with the video so go out of my way to pick the more obscure stuff mm. um and and was getting into more obscure what were then like we were talking about 20 years ago but like what were then more obscure um uh um, contemporary directors, you know, I got really mm. into, uh, uh, I mean, he wasn't that obscure at the time, but compared to the mainstream, like, uh, Patrice Lecomte, you know him, like, yeah. uh, Monsieur de Ray, like yeah. I, I got, I got obsessed with his stuff at, at that time. And, and a lot of like contemporary French cinema in the early two thousands, I was really into Benoit Jacot, uh, was a big one for me. So I like, I was building up and then of course, Mikhail Hanukkah was a big like discovery for me at that time. So I was, I think I was watching more contemporary stuff or I was watching because I lived with Tyler and he had a huge collection of VHS that were like classic Hollywood. I was getting into those, Yeah, but I think where my blind spots are, are classic art house. Yeah. I, I know like, I know art house, like nineties to present very well. And I know a lot of classic Hollywood, but like the, the sort of like, 60s art house stuff and i feel that i feel in a lot of those gaps over the over the years it's not yeah it's not a, as much of a blind spot but there are weirdly still some big ones um laventura is not one of them but it was i mean i only saw laventura what four years ago something yeah like very that. recently yeah um, um yeah i was trying to think i think the two things that were really galvanizing for me is i was reading we talked about this on a recent mailbag i think about like where kind of our film critic influences were and I talked about how I was right. a big reader of Jim Emerson's blog and that, that like really got me going. And so he participated in a like kind of blogger poll of like the hundred essential world cinema movies. Um, and it was mostly like kind of reprinting the criterion collection, but kind of seeing them like laid out and ranked. It wasn't like one movie in a massive criterion movies. It was like, okay, no, the rules of the game is the most important one of mm -hmm. like 
all the Renoir movies they have. And then I think around that same time, both Antonio and Ingmar Bergman died on the same day. And so there was like all this conversation happening about like that period of like European art house cinema that they represented. And it kind of coincided with a time of me having just like loads of free time in college. Mm-hmm. And so I think it might've been that fall or the semester right before Julie and I, before we started dating, we were just friends. We just started hanging out every Monday and watching like some major movie, mostly European stuff that we had never seen. So I felt like we should see it hadn't like film school hadn't shown to us yet. And so that really got me going. So seeing like eight and a half the first time love and tour was of course huge. Um, and it just kind of felt like there were all these movies all of a sudden that I realized that people like, I, I think my reference points before that were like the AFI top 100 or like the Oscar right. best picture winners. But I was like, Oh, there's this other Canon that's like slightly alongside it that I have no idea about. And that was like incredibly exciting to discover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, criterion was definitely my way into that Canon too, because I worked my junior and senior year of high school, I worked at Best Buy and now the criterions we had at Best Buy were not like Best Buy wasn't selling a lot. Uh, at least my Best Buy, it had like Armageddon yeah. time bandits and stuff like that. But if you bought a criterion disc, you got like a booklet that would show you like yeah. other, totally. and, and that's a, so yeah, that was a big, um, uh, entrance into my, at least being aware of of that but um even that yeah even bef- pre-film school um most of what i was watching was american independent american art house it's heavily into david lynch in high school right so that was a huge thing uh for me and and um i guess ridley scott is pretty mainstream but i was uh, a big ridley scott fan at the time and other like obviously tarantino and the coens and all that stuff totally. that was happening at the, at the time was a big deal for me but uh yeah i feel like i i'm i never buckled down and saw that like the the main canon of european art house but then because i do things like or used to uh do like blu-ray reviews i would end up filling in like the weird things that like right like here's like a second tier rediscovery of something that Kino Lorber's putting out or whatever, you know? And so I have these odd, um, the, these odd movies that I know well when I've, when I'm missing some of the main ones. So yeah, uh, got to get back into that. I recommend I it. still have I a mean, list. Yeah. I think it should be, it might be like influenced by nostalgia of this time in my life, but I've always been a big defender of the canon for that reason. And like, Oh sure. Yeah. Um, all the, times people try to sail it as like ah it's old hat i'm like when was the last time you really watched the rules of the game the rules of the game is not old hat the rules of the game kicks no yeah ass. yeah that's a great that's a great movie um i'm trying i'm looking at my la- my list and seeing what's like the next big i've never seen man of aaron is that it would you consider that a big one? Oh, branded to kill i've never seen that seems like a big one i mean to see obviously 400 blows for you would be up there um right 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 no i've never yeah, um, seen man of aaron either um what else oh, i've never seen scenes from a marriage that's on my list of, of blind oh, yeah. spots um yeah yeah i've never seen throne of blood i've seen a lot of curse i've never seen throne of blood so that's on my list of blind spots yeah throne of blood's pretty good i never really like got into it the way that most a lot of people think it's like the best shakespeare adaptation ever and i'm like slow mm-hmm. your roll man mm-hmm. but um trying to think of what my current big blind spot is because i know i know there are some oh i think probably the biggest for me is that at least nags at me a lot is i haven't seen Shoah. 
Um, I've never seen it either. But I know there are more. That's at least I'm looking at right now. That's the highest ranked movie on the Days You Pictures thousand list I haven't seen. Oh, no. Well, I know I have to do that. What is the highest ranked? Okay. Okay. And then we'll get into the the topic, I'm sure. Well, first I have to do the... Okay. Highest ranked thing that I've never seen. Oh, I've got one super high. Oh, man. I feel bad even <laughs> admitting this, but I've never seen Tokyo Story. Ozu is like a perfect example of I've seen like a handful of Ozu movies, but they're like the weird ones. I've seen yeah. like... I've seen like... Uh, is it... Is there an early spring or is it early yep. summer that I think there's an early spring? Yeah, I've seen early spring. Oh, you got I've seen uh, yeah, green, green tea over rice. Um, yeah. Ozu is interesting because Tokyo Story is undoubtedly the agreed upon classic, but it's n- nobody I've ever met is their favorite Ozu movie. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I think it got established like so long ago. Right. And it's the one we all can certainly agree on. Although I'm kind of surprised late spring hasn't overtaken it because that's mm-hmm. been in the rotation long enough now and people do tend to love it more. I agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tokyo Story is still great. We'll see it even though it's you know, two and a yeah. half hours and it's a tough time commitment. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's get to the topic. But first, I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. Excuse me, tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives, generally. Um, today, I was using it to listen to, you know, I always like to shine a spotlight because I'm a morbid fuck on people who have died recently. Um, and sometimes it's like great, like artists who have died. I, I was listening to it. This was what I was going to say. I was listening to a lot of Nazareth because the original Nazareth lead singer uh, died. But sometimes I don't even know about someone until they die. There, uh, there was a um brazilian um famous brazilian pop singer named gal costa who died recently in her in her 70s and i this morning while i was working was uh listening to a lot of her stuff it's super uh fun and energetic and uh party time brazilian music the kind of thing you uh kind of associate uh, rightly or wrongly with with brazil um uh, all comes through in, in Gal Costa's music. It sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds. They're available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But if you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Scott. Hello. We're back. Let's get into it. Shall we? Um, this is a topic I can't believe that Tyler and I haven't done before. I know. I, I kind of threw it out there. Um, when we were trying to assemble some topics to do, uh, with Tyler's absence. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure you guys hadn't done it because the BB archives can t- sometimes be tough to, uh, parse, but I trusted you would call me out, even though I, it's very possible that I, just it's very possible. I do tease you guys for having done two episodes on Shakespeare on film without acknowledging that you have. Um, I only ever yeah. remember that because the first Shakespeare episode was like one of the first episodes of the BPA I ever listened to. <laughs> and so, and I remember yeah. listening to it being like, these guys know more about Shakespeare than I would have maybe expected, which isn't like a slight against you guys. It's just like, you certainly know more about it than I do as far as like easy references of like which characters in which play. 
Um, but it always well, we're both, we're both drama club kids, I think is a big part of it. But so was I, but like we never yeah. did Shakespeare in high school. I don't know. Did you do Shakespeare in high school? Did we do Shakespeare? No, I don't think we did any Shakespeare. Yeah. And so it's like, where does that reference point come from? But um, I mean, in drama class, we would read Shakespeare. Oh, okay. Yeah. I assume we never did that either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then oh. of course, um, Julie Taymor's, uh, Titus, um, movie from what is that? 2000. Uh, yes. I love that so much. And, and so I, uh, went back and I remember, yeah. First year in Chicago reading Shakespeare on the train a lot because I was like, Hey, there's like below the canon of the, the top level of Shakespeare. There's some weird stuff. And Titus, Titus Andronicus is, uh, um, very fun. It seems kind of juvenile in a way that probably appeals to a 19 year old, which I was, sure. <laughs> um, because it's, uh, in just incredibly violent, just nonstop. Um, yeah. all of which is to say that I, I don't believe you have yet done a to- an episode on obsession in film, which is, um, one of those topics that I think film is especially well suited to cover because, you know, the very nature of obsession is like being fixated on a thought and constantly rotating through it and film is uniquely good at showing the interior life of somebody and kind of like where their tensions are when, even if they seem to be paying attention to something else or seem to be doing something else, uh, you can convey it through performance or through images or through a lot of different ways that they're, they have their mind on something else. I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of that, is that a lot of that through like the camera, uh, seeing things through the camera and seeing, uh, being able to adopt a, a point of view, Right. And so uh, you can someone else, yeah. catch on to, I mean, even if you're not directly depicting like the thing that's on their mind, you can show someone drifting away from a conversation in a certain way that through the shot patterns kind of recalls the thing that they're fixated on. Um, I was trying to think of like things that differentiate it. Cause I don't feel like it's especially a good topic for like theater or um, painting because painting is kind of still and you don't get like the idea of something recurring, but it is a good topic for literature, of course, and plenty of good books and films made from those books have tackled the topic. Um, but yeah, it's a, certainly a topic within film. I've been thinking about a lot over the last couple of years, because as I've mentioned several times over the last couple of months, I recently saw for the first time, basic instinct, which is now like one of my favorite movies of all time wow, and is extremely, it, amazing portrait of obsession specifically kind of misogynistic obsession but um definitely a certain kind of obsession that takes over men when they encounter um the sexiest woman who wants to destroy them (laughs) because who wouldn't be obsessed by such a thing um but there's something about michael douglas's performance in it that um really gets at the heart of like the kind of self-destructive uh obsession that i think like it really reminded me of vertigo and a lot of things that Hitchcock has tackled, but also it's like a freaking topic of Martin Scorsese. And so like, it just kind of spun out from there. Um, um, so- and I haven't <laughs> seen, I haven't seen basic instinct, but it's Michael Douglas kind of like uh, George Costanza when Jerry was dating Jennifer Coolidge. And he's like, she just dislikes me so much. I find it irresistible. <laughs> oh yeah. I haven't, is that a later season episode? Cause I haven't seen. I, I think that. that's pretty early. Oh, that's man. when cause Jennifer Coolidge is the um, masseuse. And she's like, yes. and Jerry thinks he's going to get free massages, but she's like massaging everyone but Jerry. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I haven't seen that episode forever. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, this will be an especially interesting episode because I came up with it two months ago and then we decided we were going to do it a couple of weeks ago and then I did like zero research. So we'll see what I can uh, spin spur of the moment. But, uh, well, like I'm say, realizing... Go ahead. I don't, like I said, I don't think we've done, and I'm sure hopefully some listeners will call us out if I'm wrong. I don't think we've done an entire episode on Obsession, but I'm realizing Tyler and I, a few years ago, did an episode on sort of like our pet themes, like the uh-huh. things that speak to us, to us. And I touched on this a little bit because I think there are okay. movies. I, I think I mentioned vertigo. There are movies about kind of like, uh, I think the repet- the repressed like Catholic kid in me speaks like, or, or really responds to like sexual obsession that can't be like, that, that a person can't allow themselves to like acknowledge or act upon. And it makes them go crazy. Vertigo, I think is a part of that, but, um, we're obviously coming against up against one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, black narcissists, which is, um, uh, a movie about n- nuns who are being driven wild by sexual desire, uh, for, um, a strapping young man in, in, in short shorts, a little adventure in, in, in shorts. And they go crazy because they can't like, they don't have an outlet for that kind of, uh, obsession. I would kind of argue it's been a while since I've, seen it but i would kind of arguably put arguably put um certain aspects of picnic and hanging rock in here too like mm-hmm, um, sure. i mean part of these girls disappear and part of the part of the town's obsession is like yeah what happened to these girls but also it's what happened to these like young you know virginal burgeoning sexual object girls at the same time so that's part of i think yeah. why the town is so obsessed yeah for sure um Speaking of uh, Black Narcissus, I also have like the Red Shoes, which has oh, a yeah, sexual totally. component to it, but is more about like the obsession for like perfection in whatever pursuit you have going. That's so I have I have a general category, but then I also have three different subcategories, and one of them is that sort of like pursuit of uh, perfection in a in a profession or a, or a vocation or 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 something like that. Well, what else uh, do you have on that topic? Well, I, I the 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 first thing that comes to mind. I, I mean, I put Whiplash, but really, this has clearly been a Damien Chazelle something that he has returned to with Whiplash and La La Land and First Man. I haven't seen Babylon yet. Um, have you seen Babylon yet? No, I'm very excited to. Yeah, I definitely want to see. I know the the reviews are all over the place, so I it's kind of it. getting it's got me even more excited for it. But yeah. um, this is clearly a preoccupation with him the idea of people um sacrificing personal lives and relationships in pursuit of uh, a professional or artistic or, or something goal you know um so miles teller in in whiplash um you know practices the drums until his fingers bleed and then eventually uh breaks up with his girlfriend Supergirl, um, the, uh, <laughs> to, uh, for no other reason than he just doesn't want any more, uh, uh, distractions. He crashes a rental car and then leaves the scene of a crime of, of the accident to get to a, a performance. But then, yeah, obviously La La Land is a movie about two people who are so driven that they're, uh, in some ways perfect for one another, but in some ways they have to recognize that they're, their drive and their passion, their ambition, um, is more important and they end up ending the relationship to let themselves pursue their own thing. And then, yeah, first man is, uh, uh, yeah, again, a guy who has no social skills 
whatsoever. Um, one of the, I, if you, uh, I never mentioned, I always forget to mention that we wrote a book, the best movies of the 2010s. Yeah. Uh, but um, you can find it at battleshipretention.com. Um, I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm not sure now's the time to buy a copy because Tyler's the one who handled the shipping and he's not really doing that right now. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. If you want to um, put a down payment? We'll get yeah, you could, if you buy a copy now, we'd love it. I don't know when I'll be able to get, get it to you. I have to talk to Jenny or whatever. Anyway, um, but I wrote about First Man uh, in, in that and I talked about one of the um, darkly funniest scenes in the movie is when uh, Neil Armstrong's wife convinces him he has to talk to his sons about the fact that he might not come yeah. back. And he basically like he does it like he's like holding another just another press conference with his son. Yeah. It's like the most like uh impersonal thing. It's uh, it's darkly hilarious, but it's uh, very fitting with that uh singular drive of these Damien Chazelle characters. Yeah. Do you find that true of yourself in any way that you're you're too driven by because you're you're a hardworking man that you're too driven by a, an idea of perfection that uh maybe overwhelms yourself i feel that with myself sometimes uh i i don't i don't know i mean i, I definitely work hard and i want to be thought of as a hard worker i think because this is getting into some like therapy shit sure i think because my passion in life is movies <laughs> which is something you do, or at least physically something you do passively. And so I feel like I'm always combating the, mm. the stereotype that it's a sedentary, lazy yeah. way of life, you know? So I, I definitely want to be, it is very, it, you know, you always have like, it's always like movie characters who are like super sensitive about like, don't call me crazy or don't call me stupid <laughs> or whatever. Like right. lazy is my thing. If I, if someone calls mm. me lazy, it like, it gets at me more than anything else because it's like the one thing I've never wanted to be and don't want to be thought of as, but I don't know if it's the same as, as what you're talking about. I know there are times when I'm like behind, like right now when I'm behind on publishing like movie reviews and stuff, where I'll be like really stressing out and Natalie will be like, no one is making you do this. <laughs> like yeah. you're not, this is a, uh, a passion project for you. This is like supposed to be fun. No one is saying you have to publish these these movie reviews, but I do push myself uh, to get them done eventually. Okay, Whiplash. I get it. Yeah, but I, I don't think I would break off a relationship <laughs> to focus on that sort of thing. Yeah, I don't. Um, I certainly wouldn't go that far. Um, do you have any? I have uh, some others in that sort of pursuit of perfection thing. Um, I guess like Zodiac kind of fits in that realm oh okay um, i had that in just my general one but yeah yeah it's not exactly the same but certainly like <laughs> uh desire to get the story right kind of thing oh yeah i guess that that makes sense yeah um uh i have two pt anderson movies both there will be blood and, and phantom thread have to do with uh uh achieving a sort of like life thing achieving, achieving life goals you know i mean didn't you play okay. view just wants to like own everything in uh uh and uh reynolds woodcock is very obsessed with his work and a big part of the story i think of phantom thread is the is um the terrifying but thrilling release of him being forced to let go of that obsession when vicky creeps gets his number yeah phantom thread is like the more evolved damien chazelle movie right and i like damien yeah. chazelle it's not nothing against him but it's kind of like you can see elements of young P.T. Anderson and the way Damien Chazelle makes movies and 
thin thread is like a more evolved, older form of way of thinking about the same sort of topic. It's yeah. interesting that you think of there will be blood that way, because to me, it's all like his obsession is the pursuit. And I think of like the Damien Chazelle characters or even the red shoes as like their, their obsession is the result. I don't right. think, I don't think Daniel Plainview is all that concerned with the result. He just wants to keep pursuing and keep right. That makes sense. Bettering what he's doing. Um, just which is of, why he's so clearly miserable when he's won at the end. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. Whereas like the dream of Damien Chazelle characters or the red shoes or whatever is like the applause and the spotlight and like yeah. the premier status of all that. Yeah. Uh, the only other one I have in this category that, that occurred to me, and you know, I'm a big uh, Christopher Nolan skeptic, but the yeah. prestige is also, I think a movie about, um, Oh, sure. Uh, people, you know, be willing to sacrifice uh, to uh, achieve some, some professional uh, goal. Yeah. I, don't know, sure. I haven't watched, I haven't watched the prestige in a long time. I didn't really like it the first time I saw it outside of David Bowie being in it, but um, <laughs> classic David, maybe I should, maybe I should revisit it. Are you a um, prestige fan? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't seen it in at least 10 years, but it was a big deal for me when it came out. Um, and I'd really like to see it again. I, I, it's, I think of it as one that's kind of like lingered beyond its cleverness. You know, it obviously has the conceit, which is very clever and which hooked me from the start, but I think there's enough going on under the surface kind of churning away at it in terms of like that kind of obsessive pursuit. Um, and especially the kind of duality of Christian Bale's performance that mm. kind of keeps taking. And, you know, it's like one of two Christopher Nolan movies with like a solid female performance, which is always notable. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> but I guess like a lot of his movies kind of fit into maybe not like the uh, pursuit of, um, like achievement or uh, performing your uh, job or whatever, but you know, Memento is definitely about a sort of obsession. Um, That's in my all-consuming. Yeah, yeah totally. my, my general, my Inception general as uh, well. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess Interstellar is probably the closest to being like a job one, where um, Matthew McConaughey like is he's not quite obsessed, but he's definitely like curious and taken with his. Mm-hmm professional potential enough to leave his family behind. Yeah, that's true. Um, uh, but I, yeah, back to Memento, actually, you got me thinking about um, the There'll Be Blood thing about how the obsession with Memento is the pursuit because uh, I guess, you know, slight spoilers for a movie that's over 20 years old, like once we find out what's actually happening, we realize achieving the goal of the obsession would actually be the worst thing that would happen to this guy. Right. What he needs to keep following it because that's the only reason he has left to live. If he, if he were to actually solve, you know, who John G is and who killed his wife or let himself acknowledge that that was over, then, uh, he'd probably just kill himself. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, similarly, uh, Martin Scorsese's shutter Island kind of falls in that same uh, vein of like, this guy has constructed a life of pursuit for himself because yeah, really confronting what he did. Um, would be too much and would destroy him. Shutter Island is the, um, sadly rare movie that like seems like it's so dependent on its twist, but is actually a better movie when you know the twist. 
Totally. Like when I saw Shutter Island in the theater, I was not particularly impressed. I liked Ted Levine in it. I like certain moments here and there, but then like years later, I watched it again, just on an airplane, just for fun. And I was like, Oh my God, this is so cool. I, I love this. Now I really like Shutter Island, but it was, it's like, it's almost like I had to get that first view out of the way to be able to like appreciate it. Yeah. I actually went in, I didn't like overtly have the twist spoiled for me, but someone had guessed it in such like, sometimes you'll see that. And this is why like, I tend to like stay away from fan theories when I, for the few TV shows I watch anymore, but certainly for TV shows I watched in the past, I never like read like plot uh, predictions or something like that. Because I'm like, if you get it right, like that's going to ruin it for me. So someone did predict shutter Island, yeah. the twist there. And so when I was watching, I was like, Oh yeah, that's, definitely the twist uh, um so i like had it in mind the whole time and so i saw these reviews that was like kind of ragging out for the twist because the twist is not elegantly handled i would say that's kind of the big weakness in shutter island is you it like rolls out ben kingsley to like give you like a presentation like he's giving a school report on the twist of the movie and so it's not like the strongest part of the movie so i could tell people were getting kind of hung up on that i was like just watch it again i guess that's the only hope you have but yeah it uh kicks ass uh yeah i think i um back when tyler and i did uh our max fun Saito, um uh profile i think i told the um story that mark ruffalo told about like being on set with max fun Saito and martin scorsese caught him just like staring okay. and martin scorsese like walked up to mark ruffalo and was like i know right what the fuck do you say to the guy <laughs> <laughs> you love to see it yeah uh, happy um, birthday, Martin Scorsese! By the way, we're recording this right. on his 80th birthday. Here's uh, to 80 more. Absolutely, and he had to destroy Twitter in the process. I don't know why Twitter's like really on my mind. Right? Um, I, I mean, it's, it feels like I mean, it's been weeks of people saying it's going away, but it does feel like the it's a it does feel like a going away party over at, at Twitter right now. It's very true. Um, I don't think I had any like other like professional pursuit kind of ones. No. Most of the ones I have, I mean, naturally, like there's a lot that kind of fall into like romantic in nature. Um, so have you ever seen the thirties of human bondage, the adaptation of the, Oh, it's really good. And the, no. I mean, the novel is a big favorite of mine, but the, for, for adapting a 600 page novel into like an 85 minute movie, it really gets right. to the essence of the novel surprisingly well. Um, but it's about this guy who um, is training to be a prominent doctor and like has, a lot of promise and stuff like that and becomes obsessed with this um woman who i'm trying to think of how he first meets her but it's like you, you would think of it as like kind of a showgirl obsession only she's not classy enough to be a showgirl even she's just like hangs out at bars and stuff like that and he like throws his life away to pursue her um being played by ben yeah. davis certainly helps sell that uh obsessive angle but it's really a great portrait of that kind of like life destroying obsession over romance yeah, I have, um, I didn't do stupidly. I didn't do a whole category of men obsessing over, over women, um, which is weird. And it's also like, how weird is it that I didn't put Monsieur Hire on my list, but it came oh, up right. earlier in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's a perfect example. Totally. Of, uh, yeah. He, it's like a single sort of milk toast, uh, uh, middle-aged guy who lives in an apartment who is essentially a peeping Tom and yeah. becomes completely obsessed with the woman across the courtyard from him um yeah it's very very good movie uh weirdly sad movie that will make you feel sad for a guy who's on the surface a real creep 
Sure. Well, that's the that's the magic of movies, David. Yeah, yeah. Machines and, that generate empathy, as we've said, as we've said, yeah. as we've heard. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, I do have. We, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, you first. Well, I was going to move on to another topic. Or oh, topic. I guess kind of on like the idea of like peeping Tom stuff. Um, I mean, there's tons of them in movies. I'm probably forgetting some, but like Rear Window kind of falls into that. Right. Um, blow up is a form of that. Um, and every like iteration thereof of blow up yeah. is about, it's kind of like obsessive desire. The conversation. Yeah. The conversation blow out. Um, I know I'm missing one other key one, but they're been- disturbia. Sure. That's the, that's exactly the one I was, I'm always thinking about disturbia. Um, Deja Vu is like a time travel voyeur movie and it's oh. totally righteous. That's screening, by the way, next week in LA for those of the, our listeners who live in LA. Um, uh, what else do I have that fits into that uh, voyeur stuff? Oh, uh, Laura kind of is in this boat. Like, I was never like big into Laura and until I saw it a couple of times and was like, Oh, all these people are just like hanging out at her apartment because they like can't stop thinking about her and like are turning her like death scene into like a social event, um, which is like kind of a fun dark end of that movie. Um, what I do, you mentioned with Basic Instinct, you mentioned the character being misogynistic. There are a lot of movies, some good, some bad, that I think are misogynistic in their depiction of essentially to be glib crazy women oh sure you know um fatal attraction is a big one and i um have a love-hate relationship with fatal attraction because i um am aware of the if you know the story that the uh, the screenplay was changed to make glenn close's character more villainous and that was something that glenn close was like bothered by it wasn't the screenplay she signed up for um but it's still like uh, but the problem is the movie still kicks ass yeah this still is still a cool movie um but, I but think that's also definitely like, not a very like positive portrayal yeah but the movie kind of like there's something in that scene when he's like he breaks into her apartment and he's like choking her and about to kill her right and the way it I mean, beyond the fact that he's trying to kill her, it's clear that he's enacting on her a degree of cruelty that she has not yet matched exactly. And sure, by the end of the movie, she gets there. But um, there's enough in that movie that kind of undercuts the eventually kind of simplistic place it ends up in. It's kind of, I mean, watching it or any number of like thrillers from the era is not so different, I think, from watching like movies made under the Hayes code where like you understand it has to build to a certain type of ending, but it, it's all the interesting stuff it gets to along the way that really like drives it. And yeah, um, the ending might help make it more commercially successful because people can walk out of it feeling like it's resolved. But I think what really draws them in is all that kind of like uneasiness that you get along the way. Um, another movie, potentially misogynistic. This is a movie I liked when I first saw it, rewatched it a few years ago and realized it's not good, but uh, it is memorable enough that it like the, the name is the, the movie is now like a shorthand for a certain type of behavior. Okay. Uh, single white female. Um, oh, sure. Directed by Barbet Schroeder or Barbe Schroeder. I don't know how you say his name who um, just side note has to be in the running for like one of the most interesting careers in sure. cinema history. Like this, 
Iranian guy who like touched on like the French new wave, but then made these Hollywood thrillers like murder by numbers and single white female, but also made like documentary by the Idi Amin. He made, did you ever see Our Lady of the Assassins, which is like a, a gay Brazilian crime movie shot on like a mini DV cam. It's like, he's got the weirdest, weirdest filmography. I find him fascinating. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, single white female is, uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's not that great. I have. Um, it's okay. Uh, I, I, but, um, definitely memorable for how it, uh, created this, this shorthand. And then of course there is the, uh, what I would consider to be the, the male version of single white female, which is the cable guy. <laughs> sure. Hadn't thought of it in those terms, but, uh, <laughs> not inaccurate. Yeah. I mean, single white female, like it was duller than I expected it to be given how much of like a cultural shorthand it is. But I, th- I think it's cultural shorthand status kind of points to how interesting the movie is kind of, at least on the surface. I mean, like, and Jennifer Jason Lee is great in it. So it's got that going yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, it also, if I remember correctly, like, it's a movie that has someone getting stabbed in the eye with a high heel, right? Isn't that something that oh, happens yeah. in single white female? That's something you would think I would really remember. And <laughs> maybe points to me feeling like the movie is duller than I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? On uh, that? And then there, I guess in keeping with like one woman obsessed with another, there's um, uh, Perfect Blue. Um, I feel like I don't oh, talk about anime very it. often on here. Um but yeah, that's about like a, it's been a, forgive me. Cause I know we have like diehard anime fans who are probably going to like roast me for getting the details wrong. Cause I haven't Man, seen it roast since like a new movie 20 years ago, but I think as my memory, it's about a, uh, it's kind of a, in, in, in ways, uh, I know you've joked about the phrase, like movies being more relevant than ever, but it's like, uh, uh, a precursor to movies, but said like the toxic fandom that we see now where it's about like mm. a pop star and her, number one fan who um becomes so obsessed with her that their lives sort of uh intertwine and and uh it's a really cool movie as i yeah i can't believe i hadn't thought of like obsessive fan movies like tony scott's the fan or the Patton oswald movie big fan um i feel like there's another big one i'm missing of like well there was the movie where uh jared leto played mark david chapman but i didn't see that one I didn't see that one either. I know there's one I'm missing. And it's going to haunt me to my dying day. Um, and speaking, like I should have, I was even thinking about these movies, but I didn't really like quite classify them as obsession movies. But now it's so clear, like persona and of all its various ripoffs since then, um, Mulholland <coughs> drive included, uh, very mm. much movies about women obsessed with other women, um, in, yeah. you know, overtly romantic ways in the case of Mulholland drive, but in the case of persona, um, kind of like, slyly romantic ways where it's not an explicit um romantic yearning but there seems to be kind of like some sexual undercurrent running through it um, um on the foreign art house scene i mean certainly worth noting the entire filmography of alan renee you know probably at least half of which in some form deal with obsession i mean i off the top of my head definitely last year at marion bad wild grass love unto death just tem jatem um are big movies about people just like constantly churning through a singular event or a singular person yeah well that's because we're talking about different kinds of obsession a lot of what i've been talking about is obsession in pursuit of a goal but what you're talking about here with the alan renee movies are like 
obsession in the sense of not being able to let go. Yeah, totally. Uh, and that, yeah, that's something I hadn't really thought about that. That's, um, uh, that is a whole other kind of obsession that I really, uh, uh, really resonates with me. Cause I do have some problems letting things go. I've been in therapy. I've been in a lot of therapy. It's, it's, it's helped also. I mean, I know we're a movie podcast and you in particular hate television, but, um, <laughs> The entire series lost, I think, uh, is hmm. largely about like letting go. That seems to be the thing that's at its core is that these people can't move on until they let go. Yeah, that's uh, true. I, I, I wonder... That's why we keep flashing back to their pasts, you know? Yeah, I, I don't think it's quite the same like idea of obsession, partially just because it's so like diffused amongst a cast of like like 20 people or whatever. Yeah. Um, as opposed to these movies, which are very much like about one person dealing with one thing. And right. so you don't with loss, get the sense of like, um, the feeling of obsession where you can't let go of a certain thing. Um, but there is like with Jack and his dad, like his dad wronged him and like his dad is dead and he's never going to get a, an apology from his father. And like, he, so he, like a lot of Jack's journey is just, I think, letting go. Oh, totally. I think it gets to by the end. Yeah. I think that's just like the difference of me thinking about this topic in terms of a narrative or in terms of like an emotional experience that right, it right. conveys. And I guess like the common obsession of Lost is just like, what the hell's up with this island, <laughs> which everybody is certainly yeah. obsessed with in different degrees. Yeah. I didn't mean to do a Lost rewatch. I should, I should do that. It's one of those things that, man, if I had the time, I would love to do. Um, I have that like fancy Blu-ray box set that comes oh, in yeah. like the big, like, uh, it looks like a, it looks like something you would find buried in the island. It's like a big, like uh trapezoidal Stone box. Thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Anyway. Um, I mean, definitely a lot of like film noir fits in this topic, double indemnity or like any move, any femme fatale movies basically about like, right, getting yeah. obsessed with a, a woman. And it yeah. Scarlet Street. <laughs> yeah uh is a big one um yeah pitfall maybe but sure that might just be because i can certainly relate to being obsessed with elizabeth scott she's hey who among us maybe my favorite femme fatale is that like a hot hmm. take no i think it's a increasingly common take if anything okay. i think when um what's the movie she was in with a really good title i know that's like for noir stuff meaning uh is it too late for tears yeah, when that yeah, got restored and kind of got shown and known more, everyone's like, "Hey, Elizabeth Scott, yeah, what's up?" Um, and also the the somewhat rare norm movie where the femme fatale is the lead. Very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good movie. It's got Dan Duryea. I always like to see Dan Duryea in movies. Um, it also has a picture of uh, uh, MacArthur Park, although it might have still been called Westlake at the time. I can't remember when that changed, mm. but. Um, have you seen too late for tears and or no? yeah like okay so like was restored and was showing around when she at the early in the movie minor spoilers for too late for tears when she kills her husband yeah they like they go to macarthur park and like rent a little paddle boat which you can still do in like echo park here yeah um and she takes him out at night and then she shoots him and dumps him in the lake um and it's just an interesting like picture of macarthur park as like a place where a married couple would go at night whereas now like macarthur park isn't what it was when i moved here 20 years ago but at night it's still maybe a place that you only go if you're looking to buy drugs you know yeah. during the day it's you know you've got your pupusa stands and it's, it's fun and stuff like that um but 
uh, yeah. Um, two it for cheers. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Scott. Good yeah. Stuff. Two things on that. One, uh, every time I go, and I've been out on the paddle boats in Echo Park Lake enough to be able to say every time I go out on the paddle boats in Echo Park Lake, I think mm-hmm. about too late for tears and the fact that if someone killed me, it really sucks. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I think about is uh, you ever see an old movie is like, there's just stuff that people could do that you just can't do anymore. And you're like, man, people had it made back then, even though like clearly they didn't. But like, you could just do stuff like rent paddle boats at night. And like, there's nowhere you could rent a paddle boat at night anymore. That's yeah. just at like 5 p.m. You're, you're yeah, out of luck. True. But like, true. there was all this like weird light night life stuff that existed in like old timey times. Like, I mean, even the idea of like an all night movie, like their AMC is open pretty late, but yeah. all night movie houses don't exist anymore. You can't really go to the movies oh. at 2 a.m. unless they're premiering the new Marvel movie or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, the thing I think about that is honestly sad to me is like that there aren't in, in, in old movies, someone could like breeze into town without like a job yet or a place to stay and just yes. get a room at like a residency type hotel until they had a place to stay. And now you can't, you you know, you have to like qualify for a, a SRO hotel. You know, it's, it's not, there's not that that sort of culture and that sort of like welcoming of new people it's the bar of entry to any city in this country is like so much higher than it was 70 80 years ago and that's that's sad that you can't just like set up and yeah start your life as somebody who hires a lot of recent college grads as part of his job um a lot of them like need extra time to get started because it takes them so long to find an apartment and so i'm always like why isn't there just like jones you know flop house or whatever they would call it yeah. in like yeah. 1934 that you could just like roll it and be like all right it'll be five bucks pay in advance because yeah. you're afraid you're going to like cut and run or whatever and like that that was a great system yeah i wish i wish we still had that sort of thing um yeah certainly i don't know how i would have made it in los angeles if I, the girl i moved here with didn't have a friend who had an apartment that we could uh, sleep at until we until we found our own place yeah julie and i somehow lucked into finding a place those months to months from the start and nice. so that was the only way we could find a apartment right away. Um, oh, what are some okay. other movies I have not gotten to yet? Oh, well, I I've, like, I've still got uh, another category. If you oh, sure. Yeah. Category. And this is a short category, although there's a lot in it. Um, uh, revenge. Mm. Um, so you could, I mean, I, I put old boy, but the, I, I put guess you could put that, that whole trilogy, old, old boy and sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. I've actually never seen sympathy for lady vengeance. Um, it's pretty great. Yeah, um, I like the other two. So that 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 uh, counts. Uh, both versions of Cape Fear, I think, sure would would count. Um, uh, yeah, and then I wrote the uh, a movie that I really dislike. Uh, uh, Joel Edgerton's The Gift. I didn't like that movie, but I that's kind of a, some, yeah. Don't bother. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about the revenge movie, but certainly that Kill Bill, um, mm-hmm. devoting her life to that whole pursuit. Um, Oh, and then, you know what I just thought of, um, that's, it's kind of a, it's set up like a revenge movie, but that's not actually the focus of the obsession, Mm. the limey, which is so long as I've seen the limey. So it's basically, he play uh, Terrence Stamp plays a, uh, a career criminal who from London who comes to LA because his daughter has died mysteriously. And he figures like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Peter Fonda had something to do with it. And so it, it, it definitely has all the beats of the revenge movie but what is really driving his, his obsession is his guilt over not having been a better father right yeah. yeah yeah that is a good one 
Um, oh man, there's probably other like parental regret movies that I'm not like hitting on that are, uh, it's a form of like obsession of it kind of driving your life. Ironically, I'm looking at my shelf for random inspiration and I'm reminded that I, I own the Brian De Palma movie obsession, but I have not yet seen it. Um, which one is I, that? I don't know. I haven't seen it. It's a uh, titled obsession. And so I imagine it tackles but, okay. the topic to some degree. But what year is that? Uh, judging by its shelf location, going to go 76. It is 76 starring Cliff Robertson. Cool. Yeah. And John Lithgow. Um, together at last. There was, I never, I never saw it. There was that Beyonce Idris Elba movie obsessed, but I never saw it. Yeah. And I haven't seen speaking. You mentioned Visconti earlier, his first movie, uh, Ossession, which is an adaptation mm. of the postman always rings twice. Oh, another noir. Yeah. We could do like a whole Patreon episode about adaptations of Patreon, the postman always rings twice. There are a surprising number of them. Really? Not all. Yeah. Not all of them are titled the postman always rings twice. But like Association yeah. was, I think, even an illegal adaptation of it. I don't think they ever got the rights to it. Mm. Um, but it was like Italy, so who cared? Um, <laughs> and then, um, oh, what's his face? Uh, Christian Petzold did a movie called Jericho that is, I mean, if you know Postman Always Rings Twice, it's very obvious, but it's wow. the direct kind of plot lines are updated to a more modern context. And then, of course, there yeah. are at least two movies definitely called Postman Always Rings Twice. I know yeah. I'm forgetting others i think there was an argentinian adaptation as well um but yeah like freaking everybody made a movie out of that book and understand so i mean it's a righteous book and none of the movie adaptations i've seen quite get the tone of it but um yeah well worth well worth um, building in yeah christian speaking of christian petzold i guess phoenix would kind of be an obsession oh totally movie although that was a movie and i I like Christian Petzold and I was never able to connect with Phoenix. Oh, really? That was it's just something about the concept that it's kind of a high concept and then I could never like, you know, like it's just been my disbelief enough. I think I, I think I am abnormally good at suspending my disbelief. People always say that about movies and I'm like, who cares? Movie said it was the way it is. <laughs> Get on board, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there other um revenge i don't have any more categories now i just have some sort of loose some some lucies if you will yeah i'm looking at my own lucies um the fountain the darren aronofsky movie is never saw it uh i i'm a big old fan of it and i wish it had like a good addition out that both the blu-ray and dvd kind of suck and it ever screens weirdly even though it's like a great big screen movie um oh taxi driver certainly is about yeah yeah. i freaking defining his life have you ever seen the uh, albert brooks movie modern romance no oh man modern romance is so great um okay. it's about a guy who's just like relentlessly jealous not jealous quite but um uh what's the word just like he, he's constantly worried that his girlfriend's gonna cheat on him and eventually she does and she leaves him and they get, you know, f- kind of fall back in and out of, and he continues to be obsessed with her regardless of whether they're together or not but um i i remember reading that stanley kubrick got in touch with albert brooks after seeing it he's like you made a movie about jealousy i can't believe how good it is and of course like kubrick managed to almost master the form of eyes wide shut like two decades later mm-hmm. but um it uh it in the very much more albert brooksian kind of way kind of gets at the same feelings of eyes wide shut of like all constantly thinking about the romantic person in your life and what they're doing at any given second and how what they're doing affects you even if it doesn't at all um there's a, a 
you know, a line that's like rough in kind of the abstract, but which was so funny to me the first time I saw it, where she's just like leaving the house to like go run an errand. Howard Brooks says something just like off the cuff, like, what do you want to go out there for? World's full of rapists or something like that. It's like everywhere he goes, someone's raping you, <laughs> uh, mm. which is like, yeah, a very misogynistic but great expression of like the danger that men constantly feel like they are, they and they alone can protect women from. Right. Um, right. Uh, what are some other? Uh, okay, oh, so from- I've got. Well, I wanted to say why well, you mentioned Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, the Shining is obviously uh, yeah, totally. a kind of obsession. Although I, I think the nature of the obsession differs depending on whether you're thinking about the movie or the novel. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's been a while since I've watched it, but I feel like the novel gets more into, cause we were talking before about bad parental, like people being bad parents. And I feel like the novel gets more into the fact that Jack through his drinking has hurt Danny in the past. Right. And I don't think the movie, as I recall, doesn't focus on that as much. It's definitely um, in there, but it's not. Yeah. yeah, it's not the movie's primary concern. Um, yeah. Which, like, what even is the movie's primary concern is part of what I think is so great about it that it yeah. has yeah. some kind of obsession angle in it. Yeah. All right. Sorry, I cut you off. What else did you have? A uh, letter from an unknown woman. I don't know Never if you've seen ever seen it, it but um, is about uh, a woman who, to the man she's writing to, is unknown. Um, because she has just been like yearning over him. Um, but he never took any regard of her. Um, really, really great movie. Um, uh, well, going back to, I guess, classic Hollywood type stuff, Sunset Boulevard, um, you know, um, she's, uh, obsessed with fixated on her past, not, and, and sort of trying to reclaim something that is, that is long gone. Yeah um also in terms of like erotic yearning uh more i don't have i feel like there's a number of gay movies i'm forgetting but definitely uh beau Traval and death in venice are both about like men becoming obsessed with other mm. men I've or never in, the seen death death in, venice. in the case of death in venice becoming obsessed with a young boy death in venice is great for i mean for many reasons um but it's about a guy who becomes fixated on this young boy and who never acts on it, but the world around him, I mean, as the title suggests, gradually decays over the course of the film in the, yeah. like at first very subtle and then very overt way, um, kind of reflecting the way that his mind is just falling apart over this. Um, really yeah. strange, interesting movie. Really, really good. Well, I, this didn't occur to me until you said both Italy and gay, but Purple Noon slash Teledemus yeah. Ripley. Oh, man. Yeah. Can't believe I didn't think of that. Talented Miss Ripley is like one of my favorite movies. Um, Purple Moon's solid as well, but I really think Talented Miss, the Mingella movie, nailed I, that story. I'm glad that you agree because it feels like wrong to say, like, it feels like I should be embracing the like Criterion approved one more. And I love Purple Noon. It's but I feel like Pur- Purple Noon makes the Tom Ripley character like a little too villainous, I think. Whereas in Talented Miss Ripley, he's like more pathetic. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the novel of Talented Miss Ripley, yeah. but as I recall, he's like much more overtly villainous than that. And like almost yeah. like cackling his way through his scheme. Um, Which is how, if you ever saw Ripley's game, the much later no, movie where John Malkovich plays Ripley, that's how he is. He's like a mastermind at this point. You right. know? Um, yeah. So anyway, all which to say, like it makes sense that Purple Noon takes that tack, but I like just narratively and cinematically, I do find the like pathetic version of Tom Ripley to be, more interesting yeah. and it's just like it's 
I think Mingella, I part of this is like the area in which they're made. Like Mingella is making it a little bit more as a nostalgia piece and a little bit more of like a enjoying like lust for life kind of stuff. So you get great stuff. Like the, the same people post every two weeks of like Philip Seymour Hoffman rolling up in his convertible and yeah. just like yeah. greeting Jude Law. And like, there's all these great joyous scenes that like really uh, convey why uh, Tom Ripley would want to um, become Dickie. Well, Jimmy. here's my question for you. Are there any other Mingella movies that you like? Cause I think the answer for me is no, but I never saw truly madly deeply. Uh, I haven't seen Truly Madly Deeply. I didn't see his last movie, Breaking and Entering, I want to say it's called. Uh, no, I never saw that either. Yeah. Um, I, the, the last thing he actually did was the pilot of the um, number one ladies detective agency, which I did see and wasn't that great. Obviously. Um, I don't, you know, I mean, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I, I don't hate Cold Mountain. I remember liking it okay when it came out, but I was also 17, so I probably feel differently about it now. Um, I did recently watch the English patient for the first time and, um, uh, I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. I mean, like I could see why people were all about it in 1996. It's incredibly a romantic, not necessarily in the way of like a relationship is romantic, but just a romantic about the idea of a place and a way of experiencing life and kind of like, hmm. uh, uh, milieu and a setting. Um, and it just has like great imagery, like nonstop, like every five minutes there's some like unbelievably well-mounted and realized scene that's just like a joy to take in so and you're not just talking about the hunky naveen andrews of lost <laughs> who is a hunk. no but like freaking julia pinoche swinging around the church or whatever um mm. that's righteous uh the big sandstorm that traps them in a jeep yeah. like it's got this great kind of imagery to it that's like it makes it a very watchable movie so i i get why people were all about it uh all right let's polish off the last ones on our list that i don't have uh i have three left i got two that i'm seeing right offhand. okay um eyes without a face oh sure um, yeah yeah um i guess i guess in a way that's a bad parent a guy <laughs> uh, trying to fix his daughter sure. or whatever uh type of movie but um uh yeah i've only ever seen eyes without a face once but it's the kind of movie that is so memorable that i feel like i feel like it was just recently that i saw it but it was probably yeah. 20 years ago it's so good i should watch it again should have watched it this october for uh halloween um close encounters of the third kind that's totally. yeah that was one of mine um and then here's one you mentioned like the shining being like what is the object of the obsession and uh I kind of put Lawrence of Arabia in that same mm. category of like Lawrence is clearly driven by something. And the movie is, we spent a lot of time with him, like nearly four hours or however, however long the movie is. I can't remember how long the movie is. Um, but uh, we never really know him, but there is something that is driving him. Right. Yeah. It's um, kind of a drive for a certain ideal, even of just like, you don't get the sense that he could be the one to realize a sense of civilization that he seems to kind of like allude to, mm -hmm. but it's almost like if he just sticks around long enough, it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that kind of got me thinking about one that wasn't on my list until this moment, but, uh, my night at mods, um, is I saw that one either. Oh man. Talk about like big galvanizing European art has classics. I saw the very certain period of my life. Um, my night at mods is one of those movies. That I tell people who are cool enough to like a movie like my night at mods. 
um, <laughs> will virtually give you the roadmap on like my psychological hangups. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's about a guy who uh, is determined to live his life a certain way until he meets um, Maude. And then he he doesn't become quite obsessed with her. If anything, he's obsessed with the idea of hanging on to living life the way he envisioned mm. before he met her and the way that kind of teases out over the course of, you know, a night and then eventually the rest of his life. Um, for the movies that were kind of on my loose list that we hadn't gotten to, um, Eli Kazan's Wild River, I absolutely adore and um, is similarly about a guy who kind of uh, has an idea of how he's going to go through life until he becomes uh, galvanized by Lee Remick, um, who among us would not. Um, I know there's one other I was going to get to before my last one, but now I'm not finding it on my list. Oh, well. Well, I'll um, mention real quick. I, I should have been, when we were talking about obsessive fans, you could maybe put Velvet Goldmine in there. Oh, I've never seen it. Oh, okay. Well, it's kind of, kind of like an almost famous thing of like a journalist following a rock star, but there's also this like obsession as well. Fan. Cool. Finishness. Cool the, movie. La- the last one I wanted to mention is um, Seijun Suzuki's Zigener Weissen. Um, which is kind of like The Shining in that it's a horror movie where the horror and the very nature of the plot is very abstracted. And it's kind of like an Alain Renee movie in that it's about somebody constantly churning over one central mm-hmm. idea, the idea of which does not become clear until the last, like, I would say shot and it's like a two and a half hour movie. Um, but it's super cool and like super surreal and it's, uh, Suzuki made it. Um, so if you know, Suzuki's career at all, he got famously banned from making movies at, uh, the studio he was set up at after branded to kill was like too insane for anybody to ever watch, even though movie freaking rocks. Um, and so he didn't make a movie for like 13 years and this was the movie he came back with. And it's like, him completely unleashed, but not in a genre context and not having to be under 95 minutes. And so it's a total like art house, uh, surreal uh, investigation into a certain psyche. And it it's an absolute masterpiece. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I'll take any of his cues to mention it, certainly in this episode. He's, but going back to the opening topic, he's like a perfect example of like, I haven't seen any of the big ones but I've seen Detective Bureau 23 go to Hell Bastards <laughs> and sure. I've seen um, Everything Goes Wrong, which is actually an awesome. I don't know if you've seen Everything Yeah, goes Everything wrong. Goes Wrong is fantastic. That should be yeah. considered, I think, one of his best movies, um, even though I don't. Well, that's what happens with the, that was an eclipse, right? The I criterion. think so, yeah. Yeah, that's what happens sometimes when movies, you know, we were talking, was talking about film school and like I took a class on David Lean and we watched Hobson's Choice back at the time when it was like this obscure, yeah. like no one knows about this like little movie that David Lean made. Uh, but then Criterion put out Hobson's Choice and now it's like practically in the canon, which it should be. It's a great movie. So are you happy about that? <laughs> I'm over. I think at the time, because yeah. I still had like a bit of a hipster thing. I was like, oh man, sure. I lost my like, but yeah, I've let go of that. Now I'm happy about it. There you go. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Suzuki's a, a big favorite of mine and Zagan uh, uh, Rice is probably his best movie, but he's made plenty of other flat out masterpieces. Uh, all right. Well, I think we did it and we should probably wrap up before my voice goes completely. That's it. Uh, we are no longer obsessed with obsession. Yeah. Um, so we'll, uh, uh, thank you for, for, for listening. Of course you can find us at battleship pretension.com. Uh, leave your movies about obsession, uh, in the comments or 
tweet at me if that still exists. Um, I'm at Davey Pretension. Tyler's at Tyler Pretension. I'm on, uh, you can email me at David at BattleshipPretension.com. Email Tyler. I'm not, I don't know when he'll be able to get it, but email Tyler at Tyler at BattleshipPretension.com. Um, you can make sure to check out my other podcast, the one where I met your mother, where my, my wife and I, my wife, Natalie and I watch an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother every week. Um, this week, uh, the big, uh, big Sarah chalk episode. If you're a, if you're a scrubs or, or a Hell yeah. mid period Roseanne fan, <laughs> a lot of Sarah chalk in this most recent episode, um, uh, of how I met your mother. So check that out. The one where I met your mother, wherever you find podcasts, uh, Scott, where can people find you? Um, now the Twitter is, uh, it might be, it probably know it's gone by the time this episode posts. Probably One can not. only hope. Um, I'll remain at Letterbox. That's a pretty solid way. I mentioned last week, but you can certainly email me at railoftomorrow at gmail.com um, and I'll probably see it. Who's sad? Not the box I check the most these days, but um, yeah, that's where I'm at. All right. Well, uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for being almost as good as Tyler. Hey. Uh, thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 